this is the first experience you've had with parenting since you have last been parented, right? So a lot of stuff that happened in your childhood, whether you're aware of it or not, or whether you view it as traumatic or totally healthy, can definitely be brought back up now that you're a parent yourself. Welcome back to You Need a Counselor podcast. My name is Julie Johnson. I am the president and founder of Heart and Solutions Counseling Agency here in Iowa. So if you're anywhere in Iowa, uh, right now we're still doing telehealth. So give us a call for therapy or behavioral health intervention. I'm Krista. I am the vice president at Heart and Solutions in charge of the behavioral health intervention services department. Um, So we go in home and work with children ages four to 18 on different behavioral skills. And we also can see children in school in the office or telehealth right now as well. And this is our podcast, You Need a Counselor. So we are designed for people curious about counseling, but have barriers keeping them from experiencing the benefits of counseling. Our mission is to share stories about counseling, good, bad, and indifferent, and spread the message that everyone can benefit from mental health and behavioral health counseling services. We post on Sunday nights at five o'clock PM. So you don't have to watch us on YouTube. You can just listen if you don't want to see all of the visuals that are happening. Um, But you can uh, listen wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Go ahead and sign up for notifications there. And then uh, you can listen to us every Sunday night. We recommend batch up any task you don't like. Mine is laundry. So I will be putting away laundry Sunday nights. Listen to the podcast. Uh, that gives you the entire week to get connected with a counselor or to call your counselor if you haven't seen your counselor in a while so you can get scheduled with them. Okay, so our guest today is a return guest yeah. uh, back by popular demand. <laughs> We have Erin Tiemann with us today. Uh, welcome, Erin. Thanks welcome. for being here. Thank you. I'm excited to be back. Awesome. Welcome back. Thank you so much. So Erin uh, is a temporary licensed mental health counselor here in Iowa as well in Cedar Rapids area. Um, she's a nationally certified counselor, and she is also a certified perinatal mental health counselor, um, which is just really cool. Erin, can you tell us about that certification and what that might mean to people? Yeah. So that certification, um, is just that extra training required to fully understand that perinatal period and what we call, um, perinatal mood and anxiety disorders or PMADS for short, um, but just that population and those specific needs are so, unique in that it does really require some of that extra training, understanding to best meet those needs of new parents, um, and just kind of understand where they're coming from, and that it might not be a typical presentation for therapists in the mental health field. Um, Certain disorders are the same, but the symptoms might just look a little different, so it's nice to be able to catch those and um, kind of intervene in a timely manner, because when you're talking about that perinatal period, time is of the essence in a way. Absolutely. What are some, what are some things that you learned throughout that certification process that you think of, you know, those of us in the general public might not, (laughs) might not know, or might kind of understand very differently than, than the way that you've now been trained? For sure. Um, I think first of how common it is for um, new parents, especially um, mothers to experience depression, anxiety, 
birth trauma, um, even OCD, those just kind of look a little different than what we typically see um, with depression, right? We know kind of, oh, we're looking for low mood or feelings of hopelessness, things like that. But with new moms, it's looking at, I just cannot bond with my baby. I feel like my baby would be better off with a different mom. I'm just really apathetic and caring for my baby things like that, um, that are just a little different than what you might anticipate in kind of more general depression or that anxiety. Some of those intrusive thoughts, especially can be really scary for moms and really scary to um, vocalize because they don't know what that kind of means about them to have some of those scary thoughts. And if you're not trained, you might start thinking that that is an actual safety concern where we can kind of, with our training, differentiate what's concerning and what is just that anxiety intrusive thought and how to approach those. That's a great point. So if, if somebody is listening to this and has somebody in their family that they care about, or if they're having some of those intrusive thoughts that, that are, um, that can be very disturbing, um, and can be very invasive as well, right? Like we're not trying to have those thoughts, right? But those, those thoughts just keep continuing. Um, how can somebody know whether, they feel like this is a safety concern or whether, whether this is something that we, we want to do treatment in a different way. For sure. Um, what we look for is kind of what we call ego dystonic stuff. But if you're having these intrusive thoughts, right. And you like you said, Julie, they do just come out of nowhere sometimes. And you're just, why am I thinking about this? If you're worried about it, if it sounds really scary to you, um, really disturbing to you, to me, the, right, as a professional then that says, you don't really want to do these. These are scary thoughts, not scary actions. It's more, it becomes a concern, a safety concern when you have these scary thoughts and you're like, yeah, that actually sounds like a good idea, right? Maybe that's something that I should do or act upon, right? Then that's more of the concern, an immediate concern. And that that does make it more challenging, I would imagine, than that that people find help because you know when we're disturbed by the thoughts, we're more maybe likely to reach out and and seek uh, some support. Um, but if we're not disturbed by the thoughts and we think that you know we are we're going to help our baby by doing this, right, or that we're going sure. to be that this is what we're supposed to do, um, or that this will benefit our child in some way, we're not likely to seek help for, you know, when I, when I was uh, feeding my daughter, cause she was hungry. I, I wasn't seeking help for that. Cause I wasn't <laughs> disturbed by that. Right. Yeah. So having those people around you being aware of some of those behaviors and like the lack of sleep, very common in that newborn phase. Right. But if there is absolutely no sleep going on, um, or maybe manic behaviors too. Um, I don't need the sleep cause I can do it all. And I have all these great ideas of how we're going to care for this baby and everything's great. And then I'm even voicing some of these other thoughts, right. Then that's a cue for some family members too, to maybe step in and be a little concerned or can I help you get those resources or help that you might need? Absolutely. And, and I know last time you were on the show, you talked about how telehealth has been such an advantage for uh, new caregivers um, that have little ones at home or adjusting to, to that. Have you found that to, to be continue to be true? For sure. Yeah. It's very nice to have that like real life evidence um, 
moms can also bring babies in to my office as well. So that does help. We can do that as well. But even just scheduling wise, I think there is definitely benefits with telehealth that we've come to recognize of, oh yeah, I can actually meet you during nap time now. And this, my whole day doesn't have to be disrupted. Right. Um, a lot of benefits to telehealth for sure that I don't think I fully realized at first. I know I was quite an adjustment for professionals and clients alike. So um, I know that you use CBT, so you use cognitive behavioral therapy. You also use um, DBT and you use those solution-focused techniques, which you've already kind of talked a little bit about (laughs) in the episode. Um, But can you tell us a little bit more about uh, how somebody can expect to experience those techniques when when they come to meet with you? Sure. Yeah. So I use a primarily a CBT approach. So um, the connection between our thoughts, feelings, and behaviors. Um, And I definitely go through that kind of rationale and how those interact with each other. I always say all of our feelings are very welcome and valid, right? And not directly controllable. I always like, I can't tell you just to be happy. And that's going to be right. um, It's going to work. So what are our thoughts? How are we talking to ourselves? And especially with new parents, we're very judgmental um, or we perceive judgment from others for sure. And our children's behaviors tends to be a reflection on us. What does it say about me as a parent that they're acting up or that I, it it can get into, well, my baby's not sleeping on the schedule that everyone says I should have the baby on. And what, why can't I get this to work? What is wrong with me? So really, then we go through those beliefs, those thoughts, examine the evidence, right? Is this factual? Is this more of a feeling? Where does this judgment come from, right? Um, I challenge all shoulds in my office, right? I should be doing this. Why should you, right? Where is that should coming from? And really work to restructure those thoughts into believable statements, right? We're not just thinking positively and sticking a bandaid on it, right? Let's really restructure those thoughts. And then with behaviors, especially with anxiety, we love to do things that make us feel better in the moment, right? Avoidance, reassurance, seeking, anything that makes that unease more manageable, which can work great, usually just in the short term, right? And then we end up in this cycle that just keeps reinforcing that anxiety. So can we cut out those behaviors, learn to kind of sit with some of that unease, that it, learn that it's going to go down on its own and teach our brain some of that safety learning, that this isn't something we need to be alarmed about, that, um, that it's okay, I'm not actually being threatened. So that's generally kind of the approach I take, but I'm also like, um, you mentioned very person-centered, you, this is your hour for therapy, whatever you need it to be, we can make it that. If it needs to be very focused and structured, great. And if some days it just doesn't end up that way and you need to just express those emotions or vent, I'm here to hold all of that for you as well. Do you find the behavioral side um, and, and kind of that behavior thought connection, behavior thought feeling connection, do you find that to be more challenging for, um, for people who are going through a new experience, whether that new experience is infertility, whether that new experience is pregnancy, whether that new experience is bringing, welcoming a child, um, whether that experience is a child loss. I mean, as you're going through 
these brand new experiences, um, you know, as, as we're kind of doing our day-to-day life, we can we kind of get into grooves of, of thoughts and feelings and behaviors of patterns. And then, uh, you know, the things that you, that you, uh, work with people, these, these situations, these are brand new situations a lot of the time. And, um, you know, somebody might have, uh, a, a non-traumatic birth experience, and then somebody might have with their next child, a traumatic birth experience. And that's a totally new situation too. Um, so do you find that that makes it easier because those, those patterns are not as set for these types of situations, or do you find that it makes it harder because they don't have those established patterns and experiences? Sure. I think it can definitely vary person to person. Um, I think those patterns end up relating back to past experiences more often than not, Um, especially with parenting. And we see this a bit more, maybe a little bit more towards that first year on, but definitely in that newborn phase too. But this is the first experience you've had with parenting since you have last been parented, right? So a lot of stuff that happened in your childhood, whether you're aware of it or not, or whether you view it as traumatic or totally healthy can definitely be brought back up now that you're a parent yourself. So I find that really analyzing at some of those thoughts and behaviors and going through that, we find a lot of patterns that have originated more. So when you were younger, And that insight can be really helpful um, to recognize maybe I'm not reacting to my child. I'm actually reacting to my own stuff, right? And then if it's me that I'm reacting to, I actually have a bit more control over that than I thought, which parenthood, (laughs) it feels like you're out of control every single day, right? And definitely validating that. Because like you said, Julie, these are new experiences. So it's a learning curve for sure. And you feel like, okay, I know where we're going. And then they go through another developmental stage and you have no idea what you're doing. Right. So definitely a lot of validating and just hearing those stories too of, yeah, this is really new and you don't know what you're doing and that's totally okay. Yeah. I liked what you said too, about, you know, that feeling that our children are a reflection of ourselves, mm-hmm. um, and that their behaviors somehow <laughs> reflect <laughs> us. Um, and for a lot of people, that's a new feeling. Um, you know, as you, you welcome a child into your life, um, for a lot of people, that's a new, a new experience as well. Um, and the fact that somebody else's behaviors and then realizing like, oh, I don't have control over anything <laughs> in my right. life at all, ever, <laughs> never did. But now I really, now I really yeah. know I don't. <laughs> um, For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, I remember when, when my daughter was your daughter's age, she had a dance recital and uh, it was, it was at the high school here in town and, uh, and everybody's kid is in dance. And so every, everybody in town is there at the auditorium and she went up to do her little Santa dance and she ran around the st- she did not do a single dance move. She ran around the stage <laughs> for the entire song. <laughs> the, the dance instructor was chasing her. The, the oh assistant gosh. was going the other way. You know, it looked like one of those uh, cat and dog <laughs> chase scenes. Um, and I went, oh my gosh, this is hor- This looks bad. Right. And so, you know, that, that was a real, that was a moment for me 
where I really did have to do that work of, okay, she is her own person. Um, and you know, she, she's not just my daughter. I have such a, a tendency, I think as a mom to, to define her as my kid, my daughter, my, 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 when we talk about our kids, we say it as my daughter, my son, my child, you know, my family. Um, and so I think even, even the language of it, sometimes that the way that we talk about uh, our, our families in relation to us just kind of further solidifies that, that connection in our mind uh, that may be helpful or may not be helpful, um, right? That, that they are a part, a piece of us and that they're a reflection of our own sense of self. For sure. Yeah. And I, that's a great point with the language, my daughter, uh, my child, right? What does it say about me? I know <laughs> my daughter, we've done potty training this year. And I, of course, you know, you read the books and like how the best method and everything. And I read some of the like potty training is a very emotional experience for parents. I was like, that's interesting. I wonder why. And then I felt it. Every (laughs) accident was like a complete judgment on me. I had failed in teaching my daughter how to go to the bathroom. Every accident at school, they're like, oh, she had an accident today. Oh, that like, I had to check myself on that. Like, why can't she get this? Why isn't she doing this? What is wrong with me? Absolutely nothing, right? And this is me reacting to my own sense of judgment or failure when I'm asking a two-year-old to do a task she has not had to do her entire life, right? Mm -hmm. Of course, it's going to take time. Of course, there's going to be mistakes. And I'm reacting to my own stuff when there are accidents. And gosh, how often do we project onto our kids, right? Our, our own feelings. So gosh, if I had a toilet accident at work, I would be very embarrassed. I would like have a problem. Like, you know, I mean, if, if I did, yeah. my daughter did, like, that would be a big problem for me. That'd be a big deal. And, you know, so the, the emotion of even just like thinking about that, that experience, right. Um, is it's, it heightens my emotion anyway. And then, you know, but my daughter at that age did not care, like could not have cared less. (laughs) She's in daycare with kids who are also peeing their pants all day long. If they have a protocol for it, everybody's got extra clothes. Like they do not care. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but we care, right? Because we put ourselves in that position. Like, no, I don't want to pee my pants in the day. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it is such a great point of just, gosh, how much do, and you know, when, when we're not talking about it, we're not thinking about it. Right. We're just going, oh, this is terrible. Um, but gosh, how much, you know, just as you were telling that story, how much did I project my own feelings onto like my daughter when she was that age and when she was going through that. For sure. Kids are great mirrors for our own behaviors and emotions and how we speak for sure. I mean, my daughter too, I mean, she loves things in certain orders and things, which can be kind of that age, but certain things like, why is she always adjusting? Like, this chair, this ottoman we have and stuff. My husband's like, because you do it every single time you walk into that room. I'm like, Of course she is right. She is modeling everything that I do. And that if you are modeling a lot of anxiety or unease about certain things, they can easily pick that up as well. You find that, um, that new parents have a 
a more difficult time um, during COVID and during kind of the pandemic and during the, the isolation that we've had over the past year and a half or so, um, do you find that that's been challenging to new parents or has there been some relief in that in some ways? Yeah, I think it can, definitely both. Um, some of that, when we first started the pandemic, I remember thinking like, oh my God, we're stuck at home. We can't do anything. It's scary. I don't know what's going to happen. I almost feel like I'm in that postpartum phase that we have like a newborn, right? So some of that is now kind of just built into our life now. So it might not be as big of an adjustment. Like, oh yeah, I'm home with the newborn. Well, I was home by myself a week ago. It doesn't matter. So some of that might've helped, um, but the lack of visitors in a hospital or having to go to all your prenatal appointments alone, or I've had clients that had to birth while wearing a mask, um, or that just that general fear of COVID and before vaccines, after vaccines, all of that definitely adds a whole other level of stress that just wasn't a thing before. So definitely processing that, um, even just, this wasn't what I expected. Right. I didn't expect that I couldn't have my whole family over to see the new baby or that I now have to set boundaries with I want you to wear a mask before you come into my house or things like that. Those are just all different things that now have to be navigated. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of noticing that in a lot of ways, the things that, you know, the themes that we were having as challenges before the pandemic we're kind of magnified in some ways during the pandemic. So, you know, boundaries and decision-making at an individual level for our own family, um, you know, that that's all a challenge and, and new a lot of times and, and becomes really important when we add a child to our family. But then during COVID, it became extremely important. And so then it was like double duty, right? When you had a child during COVID um, and then, you know, I also think about that is true though, that, that kind of, well, this is, this is kind of how I am living now. And so now I've got a baby in my house with me. Um, it it could kind of ease a little bit of that Mm -hmm. adjustment. For sure. But yeah, I think the boundary piece probably is one of the bigger stressors, especially if maybe we didn't like setting boundaries before or don't like confrontation. Now I feel like I'm forced to, because there's mm-hmm. such a lot of stake here. I feel like there's a lot of risk. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone has their own opinions. They can get very emotional behind that. And when you're talking about close family members and what should be the happiest time, right. Of introducing a new baby to the family is now has all these disagreements and hurt feelings on both sides can definitely be another stressor to process. And so you talk a little bit about um, rewriting the narrative of traumatic birth experiences Mm -hmm. as well. And I would love to hear more about that and what that means when when people are working with you. Right. Um, For sure. I feel like traumatic or not, how often do you actually get asked once you have a baby? How are you feeling? How was that experience for you? Right. Once that baby is born... And rightly so, that baby gets a lot of attention. Mom technically doesn't get a lot of that, right? There's not much time to debrief. And so if we're talking about a traumatic experience, right, where you feel like your life or your baby's life was in danger during that time, 
You felt like no one was listening to you. Um, Things happened too fast for you to process or you needed some other intervention to help with the delivery process can all lead to birth trauma. So really, first and foremost, giving moms a space to actually tell me your birth story. What happened from start to finish? How did you feel at those moments? What was going on in your body in those moments? What was that like for you? I'm here to listen and hear what it was, that, what that experience was for you, what that means for you. How does that feel going forward? Um, if you had something horrible happen in a hospital and now you have to go to tons of postnatal checks and your babies will check visits, right? That can be really triggering to have to go back into the hospital or back into a doctor's office where before was kind of scary or dangerous, right? So what is, how are you functioning now? Really providing that space to share that narrative as it is, and then looking for, are there certain stuck points? Um, A lot of times you see themes of no one listened to me. I had no voice. I felt very powerless, or this did not go how I expected. Um, This wasn't the story I wanted, right? Can we address those stuck points, right? Can we rewrite it, that narrative to be more of a, an acceptance of this is what happened. This is how I felt about it. It wasn't what I wanted, but here's the end result, right? I still have my baby, right? And can we work through some of that anxiety that centers around future appointments, if there is, or future triggers or another pregnancy, right? And another birth. What is that going to feel like when you have to do it again? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it's a, it's a hard thing because, because there are so many pieces to a birth story and there's so many physical, uh, you know, smell sensations. Mm-hmm. I, I think that because it's so, it doesn't feel 3d. Some of those memories, it feels like 6d, you know, <laughs> like, I don't know if that sure. makes any sense, but yeah. But I I think, you know, for me, when I think back on the, the memory, the way that I normally would recall a memory, right. But I think back on that memory of when my daughter was born, I remember all of those little, I remember like this little thought I was having and this other thought I was having and, you know, how, how things felt and how things smelled and, um, and because there's so much because it's so important um, and because there are so many pieces to it and there are so many conflicting pieces to it, I think that's why we don't get to tell our full birth story all the time. Um, I I don't know that I, other than a counselor, I don't know who would sit for that long. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah, of course. I I talk all the time about, you know, that I give the the Cliff's Notes version, right? Or the Spark Notes version of it, right? Some people know how Monica was born. She was breached. She was a scheduled C-section, which highly recommend. Um, She was, okay, like, and preeclampsia, right? So those are kind of like the big header bullet point thing, right? She was born at 8.36 in the morning. Those are the things we tend to say when we talk about that birth experience, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, we tell that story, but but because it's so yeah. 
vivid and to say it out loud would take hours <laughs> and hours. I, I, I don't know. And so, yeah, I, I love that you, um, that, you know, in your sessions that that is, uh, a big, a big part of it because, you know, it, there isn't the opportunity, right. To tell it in that much detail <laughs> and that graphic of detail depends on who you're with also what pieces of it you tell um and so yeah. yeah it can definitely be like you said overstimulating there's so many things I don't even know what to focus on so can we actually give you that space to process all of that right some of this might just be a lot of sensory stuff that you never focused on to begin with can we give it a narrative as well to help with that, get that in more of that explicit memory rather than that just implicit memory where it can just show up at random times. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's very interesting, Erin. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm like processing (laughs) all of this because honestly, I host a podcast every week. Okay. I presented things. I'm a public speaker. And when I tried to put into words, what it felt like, even just now on the podcast, trying to put into words what that even recalling that memory felt like it wasn't narrative at all (laughs) I can give you the bullet points in words but the memory is not in words um and it's kind of it's reminiscent of those early early childhood memories as well right that when you go to recall them they're not in words it does it doesn't come to mind there was a blue ball and I was running, right? Like none of that comes to mind. You feel it in your legs. Um, and those, those kinds of memories are so core and they're so important. Um, but rarely do we, would we sit by ourselves and say that memory out loud and turn it into words, turn it into cognitive, uh, information. And like you said, who wants to listen to it? Right. (laughs) That and also you're a new mom and I have time to sit here and share it with everyone. But when we, especially with a more traumatic experience, it can be so important just to share it. There is studies of even mothers who were able to debrief within like a couple hours of a traumatic birth showed much less um, risk factors for ongoing depression or PTSD. Now, last time you also mentioned this about that feeling of not being heard during the birth process or during the, uh, the process of adding this child to the family, right? So is this a systemic issue? What, what is happening in our <laughs> prenatal care um, that's, that's causing this to be a challenge for so many people? Yeah. I mean, that's a big question, Julie. It is. (laughs) (laughs) I definitely think there's obviously some societal expectation placed on new moms and that it's have a baby, be joyful about it, post about it on social media and everything's happy and get your body back and have all this energy and do all these things. And we don't really need to talk about it, right? Because you just had a baby. And that's the exciting part. That's the joy. That's what we focus on. I mean, medical care, the way it just works in our system, sometimes it's, yeah, you don't even know your OB who's actually delivering your baby, right? That's just the way it works. It's just who's ever on call. There's nurses. I mean, when I gave birth, I had a shift change in the middle of my labor, which I'm sure a lot of people do because they're not 
fast. <laughs> and so now you're gonna have a whole new team of people that you're meeting right away. And there's not a lot of communication because that focus is, and I mean, rightly so on your health and the baby's health. And it's, we need to get this delivered, right? We need to get the baby delivered. We need people to be healthy. There's not, and that can be kind of anxiety provoking. So it's meeting that urgency, right? We just need to do this. This is our sole focus. There's no time to sit and process whether that's right or wrong, who's to say, right? But I do feel like there probably is that time. We just don't ever take it. So what can support members uh, for somebody who is adding a child to their family or or what can somebody who is planning a family, what, what can we do um, to try to, because we, we don't get control. There are so many things we have no control over. Like you said, shift changes and who our doctor is at that moment. Who knows? They are a total stranger. And, and sometimes they're a total stranger or you're in a room of total strangers in one of the most intimate times of your entire life. You are the most vulnerable you might ever be. Um, and you are in a room full of complete strangers. Um, and so are there things that support people? Cause it, it is a challenge to support somebody who is going through that process of having a child, um, because it, it can feel very intrusive to be supportive. There is that line of, um, being supportive or being, adding to the judgment or adding to the, the overflow of options and opinions, um, happening for that person. So, uh, what are some things that support people that you would recommend? For sure. Um, even if, yeah, you have a partner or supportive people around having some of that kind of postpartum planning for sure beforehand and really recognizing, okay, if when I have felt really vulnerable or distressed or scared in the past, what has helped me? What it kind of support am I looking for? What do I think would be helpful? And really communicating that beforehand because communicating that in the moment, it generally doesn't have the best results. So whether that is, I know, and I am a, have a, I like a doula would be great for me. And I have access to that and can utilize that. That's great because they have that medical background while also the supportive nature, or it's, I know that I need my partner to listen to me. I know that I need to be able to relay information or how I'm feeling to my partner. And then they're going to be the one that relays it to the doctors because I, I can't deal with that power differential right now when I'm in that vulnerable state or afterwards, after I give birth, right? Um, I know self-care is important. This is what I'm going to need. I probably won't do it because I'm a new mom and I think that I should just do everything myself. So I need my partner or my other supportive people to come in and be like, hey, I'm taking the baby to hold them for X amount of time. You're going to go do this, right? We talked about this. This is what you want to do. I think while we can't, so much is out of control, like you said, and we can't really plan exactly on how things are going to go. Can I have a framework of what support I want and what I can expect? And can I set that up beforehand? I like that. Written rules. <laughs> Written contract. <laughs> my my hospital room had, because I, I knew that it was going to be whoever was, you know, working that day, nurses and, and, and all of that. And my, um, I was originally working with the midwives. And so I, I had my person I was working with and then it all got switched over. And so, um, but one thing that they, they really recommended that I loved was 
I had it written down and it was like on the wall in my room and it said who was allowed to be in there and when, (laughs) and then we put it on the door also. Um, and that way the nurses were able to say like, they could reference it. Right. And they could say, okay, it's not me kicking you out. And it's not, you know, Julie kicking you out at this moment. Like this is when you're allowed to be here and this is when you're not allowed to be in here. Um, and that was great because yeah, I could overrule that and say, yeah, you can, you can stay, you know, whatever it is, but there were kind of those just built in breaks, um, which I, I loved, I know it doesn't work in every situation, but, um, but I love what you're saying about having that kind of plan and, and even, um, having it in writing ahead of time so that we can reference it too. Right. And go, Oh yeah, Yeah. wait, I did. I did ask you to make me go for a walk, right. Or, you know, make me at least like eat a snack or something. Right. When I feel like I, I shouldn't, cause I have so much to do with the baby. Yeah, for sure. And with visitors, I mean, maybe a benefit to COVID right now is that you don't have to even have those rules. Those are another built-in rules that no one's coming to visit you in the hospital, right? That's true. Maybe that is helpful for some people, right? Well, I don't have to set that boundary now because it's just a hospital rule. Yeah. My goodness, there's so much to talk about when it comes to (laughs) (laughs) perinatal and postnatal care and oh my gosh. And, and so you work with, with individuals and families that are the full spectrum. Yep. Um, Expected um, pre-pregnancy, during pregnancy, postpartum. I work with a lot of new parents too. We're navigating those lovely toddler years, Um, anything. Mm -hmm. And you brought up the doula. Can you, can you explain what that is and how that might help somebody if anybody doesn't know what that is? Yeah. So, um, and I'm definitely not an expert on this for sure. So, but from my own understandings of doulas, they do definitely have that medical background in that they understand, um, kind of the whole process of pregnancy and what delivery looks like and what certain complications could mean. Well, but they're there as your support person, right? They're there to meet your needs, to support you in any way that you ask. Um, But they also have some of that medical knowledge that they can help advocate for you in that time, um, especially during that very chaotic kind of delivery um, period. They can also help postpartum wise. Um, Some postpartum doulas will come and do like night shifts for you so that you can come and you can get some sleep and they're the ones holding and feeding baby or they're helping out. Have done that. Day. <laughs> no, right? I think about it. I was like, why didn't I do this? Why did I not do that? <laughs> right? Yeah. They sound like uh, miracle workers for sure. Um, but is it yeah, too late? Can I sign up for one now? <laughs> right? My five-year-old. <laughs> <to> come now. <laughs> if I can get somebody to come take like two night shifts a week. Yeah, for sure. Right. And I, um, different duels will offer different services, whether that, what that looks like postpartum as well. Um, I know some also help with like the sleep aspect of it too, how to kind of prepare baby for sleep and getting into maybe some of those routines that's all individualized on what they offer, but they could be very supportive if that's available for you. Yeah. I love the, the distinction on that between, you know, the, the doula who's there for, yeah, they might have a medical background, but they're there for the parent Mm -hmm. and the family and the immediate family. <laughs> and there is a distinction there. Um, and the, the doctors and the nurses who are there to keep you guys physically 
healthy, to keep you guys physically getting what you need um, and doing the things that need to happen for your bodies to function and work. Um, and so I think that, you know, there, that piece does get missed and it really, it, the doctors and the nurses, they do have to be that single mind focus um, so that they can really focus on keeping us well and keeping us healthy as they can. And so then having a doula there is kind of like having uh, a counselor there because they're not your family also. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's great to have, you know, your friend there or your partner there or your, you know, mom there or whoever it is, your grandma, but they're still your grandma. Like they're still <laughs> your mom. Um, they're going to like talk to you about it later. They're going to tell stories to their bridge <laughs> friends. right? And, gonna, and so like, sometimes you don't want that either. And, and so similar to how, um, you know, even if somebody has a lot of support, a lot of family and friend support as they're uh, making these transitions into parenthood, going to a counselor like Erin and having that external person who's not a family member, who does, isn't in love with your kid, right? Um, and that, that does make a difference because Erin is there for you. And kind of in that same way, a doula in, in maybe the delivery room is that, that third party person who has the knowledge, has the experience, they've been through it a lot of times, but they also are there to support and uh, advocate for you as the parent. Um, and I think that's so important. We all need that. Everyone is mostly focused for baby who's focused on mom, who's there for mom. Great. So, um, how would somebody reach out to you if they need a counselor and if they heard themselves in any of these things, they said, okay, Erin is the person I need to call. For sure. Yeah. So I am located at Murray Wilson and Rose Counseling. We are located in Hiawatha, Iowa, but I do do telehealth services. So anywhere in Iowa, I could um, meet with. I can be reached at Aaron Tiemann at mwrcounseling.com. Um, our main office number is 319-250-1267. Hannah is our amazing um, office coordinator, and she would love to help you get all set up with that. Perfect. Perfect. And then they can ask for, for you. Yep. Mm -hmm. Awesome. That sounds great. So Erin, if somebody is on the fence about starting counseling, say, say somebody's listening, they're in Iowa, they think, man, this person sounds like a good fit, but they're on the fence about counseling. What, what suggestion might you give to that person? The hardest message is always, <laughs> yeah, no, the hardest part is always making that first appointment. And it's really, you might as well just give it a try. There's no harm in coming in once and then you can make that decision. Absolutely. I think sometimes there's this sense of, you know, nobody else is going to understand what I'm going through. And while that is hundred percent technically true, like nobody is ever going to understand hundred percent of what we're going through. When you go to somebody who's specialized um, in a certain, in a certain phase of life or in a certain area, um, then there is that information that they do have kind of that background um, that can help give some context to what you're going through, right? So even if they're not understanding it because they haven't been through it, uh, having that training and being able to give a, a better understanding, even on the 
technical end of some of those things um, of what you might be experiencing can can be helpful as well. Well, thank you so much for being here, Erin. It's been great. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, it's been great chatting with you guys. I'm Erin Tiemann, and I need a counselor. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Um, also here in Iowa, uh, Heart and Solutions, you can call us at 800-531-4236. Um, do you guys do VHIS out there? We don't. Okay. So um, if you, even if you do contact Erin to do therapy uh, for yourself, which is so important as a new parent or a new caregiver, um, if if you've got, if you're like Erin and I, and you've got little ones (laughs) um, and you've got some of that transparent stuff where, you know, you're seeing behaviors that are causing challenges for for your family um, and for your kiddo, uh, give us a call for BHIS, uh, 800-531-4236. That can be telehealth or that can be done in your home. And like Julie mentioned at the beginning, we post every Sunday night at 5 p.m. Central on YouTube or Spotify or anywhere you listen to podcasts. So save up that tour that you hate doing. Listen to us while you do that on Sunday night. And then we will help you um, prepare to call a counselor that we can get set up with services for yourself as well. Awesome. If you've got questions for us or for Erin, you can reach us at You Need a Counselor podcast on Facebook Messenger and also on Instagram. I'm Krista Hunt. And I'm Julie Johnson. And we need a counselor. And so do you. Bye. Bye.